Yeah, yeah, we'd uh, we'd love your help on that, listeners. <laughs> Send us some <laughs> feedback on that because I'm not yeah, I'm not quite sure here. where else to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host Daniel Fox here with my great friend Tom Balzamo. How are you, Tom? I'm good. 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 And uh, we, if you're new to the podcast, you're listening to two friends who uh, just enjoy their conversations together, and we reason, we like to reason through things. Uh, We're not necessarily party line guys or shallow thinkers. Uh, We like to analyze things and to think to good conclusions, connecting, you know, life and things that we do and things that we think about to uh, our biblical faith. And Mm -hmm. uh, so... Uh, if you're interested in a conversation like that, you'd like to reason along with us, we invite you to listen and uh, and even give us your feedback at reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. That's reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. And we want to thank our uh, our patrons who support this podcast over at patreon.com slash reasontogether mm-hmm. uh, for all that they do on a weekly basis, on an episode-by-episode basis to uh, to support what we're doing. We really appreciate that. Yeah, we do. We're very grateful for that, that someone would take some of their hard-earned money and uh, choose to support something like this with it. We uh, we are grateful for that. Yes. I was just able to help someone. Well, you helped me help someone here in the last few days to get access to their bonus episodes because mm-hmm. that person was an elite patron. And... Um, and so the elite patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together uh, have access to this uh, after show that we do each episode, which is just extra content, another discussion, maybe a little bit more laid back. And um, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. it's just, uh, it's not <clears throat> scripted here. Well, you see how dedicated we are to our patrons and that we give our tech support people a break and uh, we do it ourselves. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, if you, right. if you have a need like that, we can uh, we can certainly take care of that, and and that's how dedicated we are. We would we would do it ourselves. Yep. <laughs> and our our tech support people, I'm sure, would be thankful if we had any. That that's right. That's right. The <laughs> ones that are potentially out there someday. Yeah. Uh, or maybe thankful now. I don't know. <laughs> maybe not. Um, so um, we kind of just have a, we have a running list of things that we we just think oh hey we need to talk about that or what what about this question what about that question and I know I've got one on my mind but whether we get to it today or not I don't know because we've mm. got a list here and usually we like to cover any details like from previous episodes has anybody written in or given some thoughts or comments Tom on what we've looked at before. Uh... I haven't published the last episode yet, so, oh. <laughs> so no. <laughs> that one should be going out later today or tomorrow. <laughs> so if they've already got feedback on that, I want to know what kind of coffee they're drinking. Whoa. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So looking at the list of questions, is there anything in particular you want to start off with? I mean, I see a couple of years here that look, look fun, too. Okay. Um... Okay, this one kind of goes, I guess, to what, one of the things you were saying in the intro was <clears throat> we like to to think through things and we try not to be shallow thinkers. In other mm. words, we try to think deeply. We try to analyze things uh, that we see around us in life through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of being yes, a Holy absolutely. Spirit indwelled person. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the thought was crossing my mind recently 
so I put it Can down. I cut you off real quick? Sure. And just say to our listeners, if that's something you go, what is he talking about? A Holy Spirit indwelled Christian. Uh, you know, number one, yes, we're coming from a Christian framework, and we would love to explain that to you. And I hope that you know, even just by listening to this intro, that we're not going to give you something trite and shallow, that we can explain the Christian faith to you, or particularly, particularly the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that we feel like is certainly reasonable and understandable. And so if that's a need of yours, uh, feel free to reach out to us, and we'd be glad to, uh, to explain more about what we're talking there. Yeah, I guess uh, sometimes we often take for granted, I suppose, that our listeners would be uh, people who who already have a clear understanding of the gospel and what it means mm-hmm. to be a Christian. But just in case you don't, uh, reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. And yep. uh, we'd love to reach out to you and help you with that. Um, so back to the question here. Um, is it possible to think too deeply? And, and, and it kind of drew my mind to the topic of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's a very broad rubric just to say, you know, what do you think about <laughs> philosophy? And I suppose yeah. that's even somewhat of a self-referencing <clears throat> question. Uh, do you have a philosophy <laughs> about philosophy? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but the question is, is philosophy dangerous? Uh, and I'm thinking in particular of uh, one verse, um, but it says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men... Um, after after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And the word philosophy is is kind of on my mind lately because you hear a lot of uh, things in our culture where they talk about various philosophers. Okay, whether they be present day mm. philosophers that people mention, like uh, I, I think I think people like Jordan Peterson are kind of regarded as a modern day philosopher. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, thinking of you know, older philosophers that are often referenced, people like uh, Immanuel Kant uh, and uh, I think Rousseau is one of them. You think of these different okay. names that people <clears throat> call philosophers. Um, there's a lot of deep things that are written by those people. And obviously not all of it's good. Um, there's a lot of it that isn't right. good. And, and being an independent Baptist, you know, we often hear people talk negatively about philosophy. So if you could really nail down a a succinct answer to the question, what is philosophy? How do you define that? And as a Christian, how do you use philosophy or is it just all bad? Okay. So first of all, you're asking about a definition of philosophy. Yeah. We'll start there. And I, I would say, uh, down to the real technical, uh, Philosophy is literally love of wisdom, uh, taken from two Greek words, you know, philos or phileo to love, mm-hmm. um, and and um, sophia, which is wisdom. So basically, to love wisdom, <clears throat> as it's taken in a typical uh, modern understanding, I would guess I would say, and I'm thinking out loud here, but philosophy is essentially um, uh, trying to make sense of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you make sense of the world? And and how I use it, um, I guess I would say whether uh, let me make this point. I mean, the Bible makes a distinction that there is more than one wisdom, and I think that's important to see because yeah, good point. you know there's the wisdom of the world and there's mm-hmm. the wisdom of God. So I believe a believer ought to be a lover of wisdom, 
and that we're all, um, if you will, trying to figure out or we all have an answer to why the world works the way it does and how to answer the deep questions of life. Mm -hmm. Um, The question is, as you're answering those questions and as as you're trying to fit things together, um, which, which wisdom are you using? Are you using a, a self, essentially a self-made wisdom, kind of a, you know, mm-hmm. and I think Rene Descartes was another one, yep. I maybe didn't mention earlier, but different philosophers, you know, kind of thinking through things and basically kind of what makes sense to them and what boils to the top, I guess, is what they believe with whatever assumptions they're working off of. But if they don't take the reality of the scriptures that have been given from an objective point of view by the Creator Himself— they're not really likely going to come to a conclusion that really understands. Um, so, so philosophy, really, for the believer, is simply um, a search for, for the truth in the Word of God, mm-hmm. I would say. Seeking to yeah. understand how did the Creator design things, not uh, we're in this nebulous ball and we have to try to figure out how it works. No, God tells us how it works. We just have to, fig- we just have to uh, understand what He's telling us. So as far as how I use it in my ministry, I mean, on the one hand, true, you know, the best philosophy, obviously, is a love of the wisdom of God. Sure. And so, yeah, in ministry, it's, it's realizing the uh, preeminence, really, the, the rock-solid foundation in, in what we do of understanding God. Mm-hmm. So as, as you preach to people, as you counsel, as you, as you talk about things, and, and in any way influence people to make decisions or to understand life or to respond to various things, you have to be coming at it from the perspective of God right. um, and thus having true biblical wisdom. Otherwise, in referencing philosophy generally... Um, you know, I don't think there's necessarily a need for that, because if you're dealing with one philosophy, you know, if you're dealing with the superior philosophy, why adopt the inferior philosophy? Um, but but to know it or to study it, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, yeah. um, just as a point of reference or as a as a historical matter or as a um, an understanding of, you know, sociology or yeah. whatever. But... Um, <clears throat> Do you think it can be helpful in... An apologetics scenario. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it could be helpful in the sense of maybe knowing where people are coming from. Right. I, I understand the concept um, of you know people say you don't need to know the error, you need to know the truth, and if you know the truth, you'll know the error. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there's truth to that. Yeah. Generally However, speaking. <laughs> generally speaking, there's yeah. truth to it. But I, but, but you also kind of say, but there is something to knowing how people think. Correct. Um, and, you know, in some way, it, it, the thought comes to my mind how Paul, you know, he referenced a, you know, secular poet or a secular author and said, even one of their authors says, right. um, you Good know, point. or something like that. So, so Paul, the word I like is he was cosmopolitan um, in, in a way. He had, he had a no- some knowledge, it seems, uh, of the world. And uh, anyway, so to have a knowledge... <laughs> Of Greek philosophers, yeah. Okay, so so to know, so to to know general knowledge, which to me it's just fun to learn things. And again, sure. it's part of part of history is is learning what men believed or did, even if it was wrong. You know, you look into history and you, you see wars. Why did that war happen? Well, because people made bad choices or whatever. You know. Well, okay, but 
you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like going back and studying the ideal because the ideal didn't happen. Um, and in the same way, you can, you can study people or, or at least consider what were their thoughts going into that. Um, and so there could be a value there, not necessarily a value in trying to take what they believed and apply it to my life because I don't need to. Sure. Well, what I find frustrating mostly about, uh, secular philosophers of old is they, I mean they're asking good questions many times mm-hmm. you know what is what is real and why is it real you know what what is what is mm-hmm. conscious thought and how do we have that yeah uh, how did we get here <laughs> these are all important questions that philosophers try to answer but what frustrates me about them is they think so deeply that even a logical person who is not born again their mind is always drawn back to the concept of an omnipresent, omnipotent God. Hmm. But they, they, they always just stop just short of it. They just, <laughs> they, it's like they just won't acknowledge that. They will not mm. acknowledge him in their thoughts. Um, so, so that I find particularly frustrating because if that person would only get born again, man, what a, what a, deep thinker they could be because they're missing the piece of the puzzle that's the most important. And the fact is that God, of course, is the source of all the wisdom that they're attempting to use. Um, so that, mm. that's why I, I kind of shy away from philosophers, though I do see some apologetics value in knowing what they've said, because mm-hmm. a lot of people, especially those uh, secular folks who are, are maybe more higher educated, have actually taken classes in, uh, in philosophers, and they get a lot of their worldview from that. And, and, and I find it helpful to be able to quickly destroy an argument and move on to the more important part. Um, <laughs> and that, and obvi- I, I don't know how else to say that. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I know that you would agree that, that always has to, there has to be a limit to all of that. So, I mean, to understand the major philosophers, their major philosophies, but you can't read, you can't read every, uh, every person in error on everything, everybody's error on everything, you know? To, to be prepped to witness to somebody, you know, right, say, well, sure. for me to, un- for me to understand yeah, where you're coming from, I, yeah, I need to, I need to know all of your secular education. No, no. But I mean, okay, these, these philosophers are major kind of major players in the history of, you know, philosophical thought. Okay. You know, right. there could be some value to learning about them, but go on with what you're talking right. about. Well, you I was also going to, in- I was also going to add that, um, I think a lot of the reasons why, I guess historically, at least from my own anecdotal perspective, I have seen um, Baptists tend to shy away from the idea of philosophy and philosophers as if somehow thinking too deeply is dangerous. <laughs> um, uh-huh. there, there, there is a consequence of, of screaming so loudly against the value of philosophy, mm-hmm. and that is that sure. people will scorn deeper knowledge. Um, and, and if they take that philosophy to every aspect of their life, including the scriptures, it creates a shallow people. But not that I'm saying everybody should just go out and study Immanuel Kant. I don't think that's a good idea either, because I think there needs to be a worldview already in existence that is aligned with the Lord before someone even considers taking a look at how to, um, how to use arguments against philosophers in an, in an apologetic mm. sense. Mm. Um, someone who doesn't have a good or stable foundation in the things of God, they go studying philosophers, uh, men who knowingly get very close 
to the admission that there's a God and that he is in control and sovereign. Um, they get very close to that idea, but refuse to admit it. I think that's dangerous for a Christian without a good foundation to study. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so all that to say, there is a catch-22 here. If we totally decry deep thinking and, and a love of wisdom, to use the exact definition of the word philosophy, we can end up with a shallow people. Well, yes. And, and to go to that point, you know, kind of stepping aside from the study of old time philosophers to just the concept that of deep thinking that, uh, that philosophy is often equated to that sort of, yeah, deep analytical thinking, uh, you disparage that. And honestly, besides creating a shallow people, I also think that you misconstrue the nature of God, um, that God's truth isn't deep or that there is no value in, in thinking deeper than just the obvious statements, yeah. you know, um, to, to think that somebody just walks up to you and speaks in monos, you know, <laughs> monosyllabic words and, you know, is, is kind of frustrating, demeaning, insulting, whatever. And so to, to accuse God in a sense of, well, anything that he's told, you know, us to do is obvious to understand. And, and, um, it just, it, 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 it wrongly portrays God and it makes us look stupid um, because yeah. we kind of are, if we take, you know, a position that, you know, everything's got to be simple. And then we right. approach a, and then we approach a passage of scripture that we don't really understand what it means. And, right. uh, and we're in trouble, but, yeah. um, I did find the scripture reference you were referring to earlier, um, uh, when mm-hmm. Paul actually quoted a Greek philosopher and mm-hmm. applied what that philosopher said to the true God. Uh, it's Acts seventeen twenty eight. Okay. Uh, I believe that was in his address on Mars Hill, if I'm not mistaken. Um, okay. And he says, uh, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And uh, according to one commentary on that is that that phrase, for in him we live and move and have our being, uh, is purportedly a quote from the Cretan poet Epimenides. Hmm. But I doubt that that, that that man actually was quoting that in reference to the true God. But Paul basically yeah. steals it from him. He rips it from him and says, no, in the true God, we live and move and have our being. Um, so that's, that's an interesting use of a philosopher's statement. And I don't know if, if this is a philosopher so much, but in Titus 1.12, Paul says, uh, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said... The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, <laughs> wherefore rebuke them sharply, you know? Um, yeah. So what he was referencing there, he had a knowledge of what their own prophet was saying about the Cretans themselves, but... <clears throat> yeah. Actually, a footnote in, on that also references Epimenides as having been quoted there as well. Um, there as well, okay. I don't know how they know that, but apparently... Somebody's made a footnote about it. Somebody must have studied philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of philosophy, would would Aristotle and Plato, those are considered philosophers, right? Yes, Uh, I would would think so. Okay, because I'm thinking of Aristotle, I think, well, I think he's a philosopher, but it seems like he's very well known for his logic, his his kind of, at least it's Aristotelian logic kind of attributed to him, uh, although I'm not entirely sure why, as if people didn't know how to reason before Aristotle, but... um, (laughs) He, I know. would say he categorized some things about logic, not that he okay. invented it. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're all just walking around drooling until Aristotle. And it's like, ding. <laughs> now we know how to think. But, um, you know, I was thinking about this just today. I think, and I know this is idealistic, but um, journalists, uh-huh. I think it ought to be a prerequisite for journalism that, number one, you have to take a course in logic and then maybe secondarily a course in ethics, if not theology. Yeah. Because I read some articles today, and I, and I just, as I'm reading through it, I'm just picking it apart, and I'm saying, oh my, the, the number of deceptions that are being used, and the way they use numbers, or the way they'll sort of flip back yeah. and forth between, uh, like, uh, uh, like a, um, a proper noun, like some, we're referring to somebody, and then something that was said generally, almost like it's attributing it to him. Anyway, I just thought, yeah. those were so deceptive, and there was such an axe to grind in a way that it's it's not ethical yeah it's not logical the way they're carrying through it i even want to read it to my sons and say now here's here's how to read an article yeah um to to understand i know this is off the subject but i'm kind of segueing here maybe something else but well i know in a lot of those cases i i doubt it's that they don't understand what is logical um though maybe they could use some brushing up Uh, i think it's just them being disingenuous oftentimes um you know, journalism is kind of dead in many ways. <laughs> real, yeah, real which, journalism. Yeah, because everyone wants to, uh, instead of actually reporting the facts, they want to prove a point. So logic goes out the window, reason goes out the window, ethics goes out the window, and they just word things in such a way uh, to make their point. And, and they oftentimes, I think they know they're using bad arguments. I really do. I think they know they're using bad arguments, but they know that there's a large portion in our our country that will just buy it hook, line, and sinker. But I mean, what what is that like to live as an individual, to know that you're using bad reasoning just to make a point? I mean, you have to know in some ways that the point isn't even a good point then. Yeah. And like, why would, why would I want to live knowing that I make bad points? You know what I'm saying? I just, for me, it's like, you can stand on the truth and say, uh, you know, this is what I believe. But to be known as somebody who makes an argument, even if it's a bad one, I'm like, ah, that's, yeah. I don't know, that doesn't seem like a way to live, but... Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, you just want to get down to what's actually right. So, uh, what is it you were trying to segue to? Did you have a, another one? In no, I wasn't. I was just saying, not oh. that um, I, I didn't actually have an end to that segue. It was just like the bridge to nowhere. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> no, so, I'm just making that point. It was, it was, it was similar to the the philosophy thing, but it was a separate thought that I just had today about journalism and and logic and piecing that together. But yeah. Um. But. Uh, maybe this could be the end of that, unless you've got another topic you want to hit. Uh, no, no, your turn to pick. Okay. Um, this, uh, the concept of forgiveness, and not so much of forgiveness, but sometimes we coin terms, and I think maybe we've, well, I know we've coined this term, unforgiveness. Mm. Unforgiveness. Um, if I said to you, um, if I said unforgiveness, what would, how would you define that? An unwillingness to forgive? Okay. Okay, an unwillingness to forgive. Um, or maybe, maybe, maybe even to be additionally fair, maybe not seeing a necessity to forgive. Okay, okay. Because the, the thought's been presented uh, to me by someone, and, I, and, and it, and it kind of didn't ring true. I was like, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> I had to you know, think through, so I, I want, I want your, your take on this. Uh, but here was the basic thought, is that... Um, Forgiveness is a, um, I want to say a transaction, maybe that's not right. But anyway, forgiveness 
can only be given when it's asked for. So, so I, I, I do something, um, uh, you know, I, I, um, I harm you in some way, and then I come to you and I ask you for forgiveness, okay? But if I don't come to you for forgiveness, you don't have to forgive me because I didn't ask for it, you know? Is that what you're saying? And, you, you think about forgiveness or are you... No, that's kind of what was presented to me, and the analogy was used, and this is where it kind of gets grave because it brings God into the picture here, is saying, uh, now God's made a way for all men to be forgiven, right? Uh, he's, he's made that... Uh, he's, he's made the adequate sacrifice sufficient to, you know, to pay for, if you will, the sins of the world. However, is everyone forgiven? Well, our initial response would typically be, well, no, they're not. So God doesn't forgive unless you ask him. Mm. Okay. Now, something in there, I'm going, when he says, but, you know, but God hasn't forgiven, has he? Or something, I'm like, uh, I have to pause on that point there. What what would be your take on it? What's the th- breakdown? I don't think it's quite that simple. Um, okay. Because it would make the statement of Christ on the cross of no sense at all. Uh, I think it's in Luke 23 um, where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it would make that statement nonsensical if Jesus was asking God the Father to do something that he isn't going to do anyway unless somebody asks for forgiveness. Mm, um, wow, what a good, good thought there. But I think there is a difference between forgiving someone and being able to deliver it. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, uh, if, I, if I decided, okay, Daniel's birthday is coming up. I want to get him something for his birthday. And I go out and I buy something and I pay for it, right? Mm-hmm. The transaction right. is made. It's done. It's bought and paid for. Mm-hmm. And it's for you. I have no intention of keeping it. Maybe it's something that's customized. Maybe it's monogrammed. It's got your name right on it. And it's for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get it until I deliver it, right? But I, right. St- I still got it for you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and maybe that's a simplistic illustration that, that breaks down some. I admit that. But the point is, I think God can forgive someone, but he doesn't deliver it. <laughs> it's not delivered mm-hmm. until they repent and believe, um, if that makes sense. Because if you think about what the propitiation did when Jesus uh, paid with his blood for the sins of all mankind, is it put God, the Father, in a position to redeem. Whereas mm-hmm. prior to that, there was no favor of God toward man. None. Literally Mm -hmm. zero. We were at enmity with God. And once the propitiation was made, God could then turn in favor toward mankind. But that doesn't mean all men are saved because it still requires them to repent and believe and seek forgiveness. And then he delivers to them what he bought and paid for. Which I I see the biblical... I mean, I certainly see that, um, what you're saying. But like if somebody... somebody, uh, if I came to you and I said, Tom, uh, you know, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And you say, I already have. I already forgave you. Did you? I mean, so are you, is, is there a distinction I, between... I don't like, see why not. I mean, maybe, so, maybe I'm missing something. So it's almost like two aspects of the same forgiveness. Like on a personal level, you had forgiven me. Yeah. But on a relational level... 
it hadn't really been forgiven because I hadn't sought that reconciliation. Is that what you're saying? Correct. That's what I'm saying. And, and I guess okay. if you think about what the idea of forgiveness is, you know, I, I guess it always helps to define something. I would yeah. define the concept of forgiveness as I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. I, I choose to release yeah. you. I let you go from any obligation from that, like the forgiving of a debt. Um, and And I can do that whether you ask me or not. But mm-hmm. there's no closure of that forgiveness transaction until you seek it and I deliver it. See, now to come back to that, um, okay, so let's say the forgiveness of a debt. Um, I mean, I understand that on, I, I, I get it on a practical level to say, well, you know, in my own mind, I let it go. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, 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 I released that thing so that it didn't consume me, you know. As it were, I didn't hold it against you, but, um, but then how does that square again with the with the truth of it? To say, you know, if God says, "Well, I forgave your debt," you know, as far as I'm concerned, I forgave your debt, even though you didn't ask for it. But he, well, but he didn't forgive the debt until we asked for it. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, I would um, have to say then that it doesn't totally square with it. Um, so maybe the illustration is just not a good illustration. Is that what we're saying? Like those two things aren't parallel. Well, I wouldn't say it's useless, but no, it's not parallel. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, as far as human forgiveness and God's forgiveness, maybe two different. Right. Yeah, I would say they are. Um, I would say they're different just because of the nature of God versus the nature of man. That human okay. forgiveness is a very different animal than God's forgiveness. Hmm. Um, Probably related to his absolute holiness, I would say. Um. His forgiveness requires a completion of that transaction because he's absolutely mm-hmm. holy. Um, whereas I think, you know, because I also need forgiveness for things as a human being, I'm a sinner, then there's a different obligation for me there. Um, I don't I don't require absolute holiness. I can't because I'm a sinner too, uh, if that makes sense. Hmm. A little bit. Um, let me ask you a question uh, about like throw bitterness in there. Um, is it connected? I, I guess you already answered as far as the unforgiveness is not necessarily a bitterness. Although I think in some ways it is portrayed that way, maybe in preaching. Yeah, um, and I'm not, re- I'm not recalling a specific instance to mind, but somebody says, you know, you're struggling with unforgiveness. Well, what does that mean exactly? You know, that, um, I'm bitter or that uh, somebody has asked me for forgiveness and I haven't given it or, you know, but if somebody doesn't ask, so, yeah, yeah, so, so I guess, I mean, we've kind of, kind of, we've already talked the chicken or the egg thing, it. you know, which comes first unforgiveness or, or bitterness, or are we really just yeah, kind of yeah. making but a I guess word there? Having already talked about, yeah, having already talked through it, I guess to go back, you're saying that however we explain it, there does seem to be a dichotomy or a two-part nature to forgiveness. There's the personal part and the relational part. Mm-hmm. Um, and while on a personal level, I can choose to release it so that um, so that it's not hindering me and my walk with the Lord, yet if you don't come and ask me for forgiveness and it's not technically given, you're not right with the Lord— Mm-hmm. Um, because you haven't sought, you know, that reconciliation yeah. restitution. So I may be all right with the Lord, yeah, but you may not be for the same offense. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. Hmm. So do you think that that even if you can forgive someone in your heart, even though they haven't come to you and repented and sought forgiveness, if you if you forgive them on a personal level inwardly, do you think that in some cases there should still be a a willful retention of some benefits of fellowship until that person comes and actually seeks forgiveness? Yes, absolutely. And that's where you get into another aspect of that discussion um, is to say, you know, what's what's the what's the um, different, you know, forgive and forget. I don't believe that. Right. Does forgiveness mean a lack of discernment? Like I act like it never happened. No. Well, I think that's ridiculous. Um, And so and, and I think the way you stated it was good to say that in some ways you said a retention of fellowship, of meaning I think that of, fellowship, yeah. of the benefits of, in other words, not retention in the sense that we hold it together, but that I hold it from you, mm-hmm. um, that there, that in, in, in essence, I'm enacting a consequence against you because of your failure to come and reconcile, right. though in my own heart, I've released that guilt to the Lord so it doesn't consume me. Is that kind of right? What absolutely, absolutely. Because okay. I, I don't think there can really be true fellowship until the second party, the offending party, has repented. Um, that will always remain a barrier to to fellowship. Um, and to try and act like there's no barrier is kind of almost trying to live a lie. Uh, in yeah. A way. And I think it's maybe maybe pictured well in in church discipline. Um, because mm-hmm. I I don't think the right attitude of a church when someone is is disciplined, I don't think the right attitude is to to act harshly and bitterly toward them. But there are right. some benefits of membership that should be withheld until they repent and believe. And what? But wouldn't that be called unforgiveness in the sense that you've not forgiven him, you know, of what he's done? Say so that church never forgave him because they didn't let him come back. Um, and we'd say, well correct because he never sought the reconciliation so he's he never sought a release of his guilt so we never gave it Mm, you know i I, I I guess i guess maybe you could call that unforgiveness but i i don't know that the withholding of benefits is in and of itself unforgiveness (laughs) Uh, it's okay okay it's maybe the result of not having given that forgiveness yet a consequence (laughs) of of alienation, but not an unforgiveness. Right. Hmm. Yeah. A, di- a di- discrepancy needs to be made there. Hmm. Yeah. That is interesting. Um, that'll make me think a little bit more about that. Yeah. We, yeah, uh, we just philosophized. Ah. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> that's dangerous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, on something that's so standard, we talk about forgiveness. Well, this is like a root doctrine, right? Forgiveness. But yeah. we feel like there's some thinking to do amongst that to go. Well, how does that play out practically? Because if somebody has been violated and they're just told, yeah. "Well, you just need to forgive and forget," yeah, or or you're you're struggling with unforgiveness. Well, well, what does that mean? If 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 you were violated and the person never sought sought reconciliation with you and confessed and said, "I'm so sorry, I was wicked and wrong," yeah, uh, and you struggle with that, is that unforgiveness or you know what's your responsibility in that matter? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, the story that Jesus told in Matthew 18. You remember that? Um, where he tells about the, uh, the there's two different servants, and, uh, and they serve under a particular king there. And mm-hmm. turns out that one of them owed 10,000 mm-hmm. talents, 
and he hadn't paid it. So the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children, all they had. So the guy goes down and he falls down before his king and he worships him and says, have patience with me and, and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave the debt. Well, I'm thinking of the, the verse that's down in um, uh, Matthew 18, it's verse 32. It says, then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, um, by the way, the, the, the second half of the story is that that guy who got forgiven then goes out and refuses to forgive one of his buddies yes. of a much smaller yeah. debt. Yeah. So his Lord calls him back in after hearing about this. And he says, oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt. And here's the, the next phrase, because thou desiredst me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He sought forgiveness from his mm -hmm. Lord. Uh, and he then gave that forgiveness. So I think that that key phrase there is because thou desiredst me. If the guy had never done that, I don't know that the, that Lord would have forgiven him that debt. It, it, does, it wouldn't mm -hmm. fit with the story. Right, right, <laughs> sure. Yeah, he'd have been sold essentially. He'd have, he'd have remained in bondage for the right. rest of his life. Yeah. Yes. So are you equating that to a God-man scenario? Well, I don't know what I'm equating it to necessarily, but uh, I think that's, of course, what the Lord may have been doing in that, that parable about how the Lord has forgiven man, so man should forgive one another. Um, mm -hmm. But the key phrase there was, because thou desiredst me. Hmm. In other words, he went to the Lord, he fell down, he worshiped him, and he asked you know, for mercy, basically. Um, mm -hmm. That's the approach we're talking about here. And, and and the whole conversation we're having is, I guess, if that man had not made that approach um, to his Lord, then he would have remained, you know, in the plight that he was in. But it's a, yeah, I'm, my mind's still rolling on it. It'll be fun to keep thinking about it. I, yeah. I think this would be, I was thinking earlier as I was typing out some thoughts on it saying, I think this would be valuable in the future to, you know, teach a lesson on, preach a message on you know, a balanced biblical view of forgiveness. Because yeah. I think there's a lot of false uh, or uh, uh, practice out there that's maybe taken off of some skewed elaboration of the forgiveness concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're probably right about that. So have we concluded anything about it, or are we still kind of... Well... How would we sum I, it up? I'd say we summed it up by introducing the concept of maybe a two two parts to forgiveness. For me, it didn't necessarily answer so much as open and maybe another couple windows for me to investigate that line of that line of thinking. Saying, "Okay, where's the balance there?" Or you know, maybe asking ourselves, "What's a proper picture uh, between God's forgiveness and our forgiveness?" I don't know that we necessarily answered a lot, except to say that. Um, it does. It certainly seems that there's a two-part. You know, there's forgiveness as it as it as it affects me, mm -hmm. and there's forgiveness as it affects him, yeah. the offender. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I still I still have to I think reason through that to a proper expression of it because I'm even wondering if you know I say yeah I don't know I just thinking about what do I need to forgive that guy I guess I do. Um, God needs to forgive that person. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when that person come, that person needs to approach God himself and he needs to approach me as well, say, if it was done against me. Um, yeah, just interesting. I, I'm just curious as far as the, can a man not forgive quote unquote? 
and still be right with God, meaning he, he doesn't have to let it bother him. Yeah, I say let it bother him. I mean, it's not that easy. But I mean, mm-hmm. a man can move on with his life and grow spiritually, and maybe we would say, well, that is forgiveness. I mean, he did forgive that. He kind of let it go. But on the other hand, is there something? Is there some sort of a spiritual transaction that has to take place between him and the other man yeah. that is actually the forgiveness, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, yeah. so... Food for thought. Yeah. Um, well, do we have time for one more, you think? Yeah, yeah, okay. we do. Um, I've kind of been curious for the last several weeks here about your son's question here. Um, oh, yeah, a, I'm sorry. I don't... Is that a short one or a long one? Um, it's not, I don't think it's a long one. I just have to remember the actual, um, the actual reference, but I can, I can probably summarize it. Okay. Um, my, my high school son came to me, uh, several weeks back now and I, and this is great because it's like, well, he's really thinking, I mean, yeah, it's a good thought. He basically said, how do we harmonize the teaching of omnipresence with a passage that says, you know, and Jesus, or, and God came to them and said, and I don't remember what passage it was in, you know, it's like where God came to them and say, said something. Well, how can God come anywhere if he's omnipresent? Hmm. He's there. You know what I mean? So it kind of sounds like God is in one place and he comes to another place to, to answer someone's question and then goes back. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? I do. Boy, that's a really subtle uh, detail there. Um, <laughs> yes. I don't know. Do you think it's just a matter of, of language that, you know, that, that maybe it's just differentiating that God spoke specifically to that person instead of just kind of speaking <laughs> to the air, <laughs> you know, that God came <laughs> to them? Uh, I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. just spitballing here, but... Um, no. Yeah, and I if I re, if I could go back to the passage, and I'd have to ask him again what he what it was if he remembers, or what, even what the story was, so I could try to find it, um, and look at the you know original Hebrew word and see if that kind of shed any light on it. But just to think back to the concept that obviously God is there, mm-hmm. and like we referenced earlier, in Him yeah. we live and move and have our being. So, you know, He is there. I mean. Um, so to say that he came to someone, uh, I would say more just has the concept of he manifested himself to them in a way they hadn't seen. Not that he wasn't there, right. but rather he showed himself, you know. Yeah. He, he, he appeared, <clears throat> having already been there, to give them an answer they were, for which they were asking. So you're saying it might specifically reply or, or apply to places where he revealed himself visibly? Uh, yes, or in some way. Um, again, I don't remember the story, whether it's just like an audible answer or whether yeah. it's a dream or a, or an answer, simply a, a mere answer to a prayer. But in some way, uh, it has to be yeah. a revelation of himself that they didn't quite perceive before. Okay. Interesting but question. It, but it, it certainly can't mean, in answer to his original question, um, I guess sometimes if you don't know exactly what it means, you may know better what it doesn't mean. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, I do. Like, I you, do. you may not be able to answer the question positively, but you can't answer it negatively. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that God is somehow localized. Right. Um, that there's anywhere and that he, he can't be. <laughs> yeah, that he has to, you know, exert an effort to come to where you are and over a period of time. And that's that's our English thinking of it. 
saying, well, how, how long did it take for God to get from there to here <laughs> you know? or whatever? Um, so you kind of say what it doesn't mean, but uh, then you have to try to accurately convey through the text, you know, what it does mean, keeping in mind the nature of God. Yeah, yeah. Maybe our listeners would have a, a succinct way of explaining that. Um, yeah, and I will I will call him after we're finished recording, and we can put that, if I can find it, we can put that reference in the show notes so that the so that our listeners can go there, look at the reference, read the story, and then say, "Oh, okay. Well, here's my take on it." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 We'd uh, we'd love your help on that, listeners. <laughs> Send us some <laughs> feedback on that because I'm not yeah, I'm not quite sure here. where else to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I think uh, we're actually gonna. That's right about time for us. It is. And so we're going to have to let uh, let the listeners go, except we are going to now transition into our uh, after show, which is uh, available to the elite patrons yep. who have uh, signed up at patreon.com slash reason together for the highest support level that there is. Mm-hmm. And um, so we are going to move into elite territory here. But to our listeners, we uh, uh, look forward to your feedback. Thank you so much for listening and join us, joining us. Yeah, we do appreciate you tuning in. Uh, We will see you again on the next one. We are Encouraging Balance, Developing Perspective, and Connecting Faith to Practice. This is Reason Together.